I'm Rosie Matteo, and welcome to From Pot to Popular, a new podcast where we interview the media, marketers, and moguls who are mainstreaming cannabis. Welcome to today's episode of Pot to Popular. I'm your host, Rosie Matteo. Today, we're joined by my dear friend and colleague, Warren Borbro. Warren is one of the first people I met when I entered the cannabis space when he was covering cannabis for Forbes magazine. Warren has pivoted to become the founder and creator of Klaus, a premium cannabis beverage, melding his expertise as a master mixologist with the burgeoning world of cannabis cocktails. Welcome, Warren. Thanks, Rosie. I'm really happy to be here. I, I know that we're not in visual contact, but I do want to share with you Klaus because all of this would not have been possible without him. He is the inspiration. I know that. But I want to talk a little bit before we talk about Klaus. I want to talk a little bit about you. I always like to uh, give our listeners a little bit of background. Warren, you are a very well-known figure within the cannabis and alcohol space. So I'd love for you to tell our listeners what previous career experiences led you to launch your own cannabis beverage in 2018. You know, I was I was very lucky. I had a dream and my dream took me around the world as a brand ambassador for a company that believed in craft spirits as passionately as I do. And uh, that led to a vibrant career in the craft spirit space as opposed to the large producer space. The craft spirit space is a lot like the craft cannabis space except for it's legal and craft cannabis is not. <laughs> so uh, so there's the rub. I mean, I, I'm really lucky and uh, kind of following my dreams ever since I quit drinking in 2018. And so, you know, when you decided to, you know, you have so much experience in beverage, right, as a master mixologist. So at the time when you were thinking about launching your own cannabis beverage, did you believe there was something missing in the cannabis beverage market? And, and how did that inform your original vision for Klaus? Oh my gosh, yes. I, you know, as, as someone who works with flavor for a living and uh, creates drinks that certainly makes people believe that their bartenders are, are cheating them because they take one look at the ice and they say, oh my God, what are you doing to me? Uh, so uh, how did that lead to a great cannabis cocktail? It led to one because uh, out of utter simplicity and using good ingredients and, uh, and doing what you love, I think that's truly how you make a great drink anyway. When you have passion in your hands and in your heart, you can make something that doesn't have you know 14 ingredients and all of them industrialized. Klaus is not. It's truly a craft beverage right down to the cannabis. So, you know, you use classic ingredients because they're in the cannabis beverage is, is like rapidly rising sector, like in the market. Right. And many of the infused beverages take on like traditional based alcohol drinks. Right. So with yeah, more yeah. products popping up, how do you establish, you know, what your beverage brand is going to be and how you can differentiate it from okay. what else is happening in the yes. state? So what's so important here is I went to the uh, Berlin Bar Convent a couple of years ago, and I had no idea what I was seeing, even though I gave a, a conversation, on, you know, a speech at the uh, Park Street University on uh, cannabis and beverages, when I really should have been paying attention to something outside of that field completely. It wasn't cannabis and beverages per se. It was creating a new dialogue completely, not a beverage that tastes like alcohol or is trying to replace alcohol, but coexists within a space that allows you to have 
you know, one of my drinks, one of one of these fabulous beverages in your hand, and no one has to treat you any differently. And you're not trying to be like a, an alcoholic drink, and you're not trying to be like a, you know, a seltzer, you're just trying to be your own place within the universe. And I think that's really important. I think it's really important, you know, and, and as you're thinking about, you know, the flavors and formulation, who do you think the target audience is for Klaus, right? We're saying these are people that we don't need to be like hiding, you know, what we're drinking. So how does that reflect in the branding, um, the flavors, the potency and the ingredients? Like, how do you think about your, your audience? So my audience is sophisticated. They're, they're foodies. They're people who like uh, eating Pan-Asian food and Mexican food and barbecue, things that have fresh lime, foods that have great seasoning, because Klaus you know, Klaus as a rule is an umbrella. The brand is named Klaus after my gnome, of course. And then the individual drink, you know, beverage that's out right now, the Meserol, is uh, is indicative of drinking better and truly raising the bar. I mean, I worked for a young guy named Chris James who told me, you know, when I was at my 50th birthday, he said working in it as a bar back, which was the only job he had available at the time at the Ryland Inn, was, you know, it was not a job for a 50 year old, 10, you know, 11 years ago. It was not, but I did it and I kept my mouth shut for 10 years and it gave me my chops. I don't know of too many other, you know, beverage writers and journalists who have ever worked behind the stick or gone to the tails of the cocktail for 10 years in a row and had people consistently say every single time that the drinks that I make were the best that they've ever had. So mm-hmm. creating Klaus truly was a was a labor of love because I had all this stuff behind me saying, yeah, you're doing a really re- great job. Oh my God, you're not drinking anymore. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to make the best cocktail in the world and it just happens to have cannabis in it. I love that. And talking about that, that flavor, the Meserol, what was your inspiration behind that variety? Yeah, I mean, I I love the Meserol. The, the the Meserol cocktail is is a departure from the original Meserol, which was a whiskey based drink in my book, Cannabis Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics. But I know we're going to talk about that later. What I the the inspiration for it was very much Caribbean in nature. Uh, it involved a, a yachting trip with my uh, former family, I will say, down in the Caribbean where I met uh, Ed Hamilton for the first time. And there were drinks that we created. And I think one of them was a spicy ginger daiquiri with Angostura bitters, which was invented for anything from dysentery to seasickness. And, uh, you know, I couldn't use that in my canned beverage, but of course in a punch or, or something that you make when you don't have great ice, even though we did, but you know, that's another story for another day. When you make simple drinks, you prepare them with love, with simple ingredients, you can make you know magic. And you don't have to have, as I said, 14 disparate ingredients, all of them industrialized. You know, I'm only making 5,000 cans at a time, as opposed to some of my competition, which, you know, 5,000, they've done that before lunch. So, uh, you know, it's really craft in nature right down to the cannabis. I love it. And, you know, you touched upon it, but I want to talk about it. You published your recipe book about cannabis cocktails back in 2016. So really, really an early innovator. And before many states, you know, legalized recreational sales. So like there wasn't even this drink market. So I'd love for you to discuss how you've seen the cannabis beverage space evolve since that time. Like you are really, really an innovator. And now there's actually drinks you can buy, including yours. Talk to us about that evolution. Yeah, well. well, And about the book. Yeah, the book, the book is really, I got a, I got a lot of uh, punishment for it. Uh, not only was I ostracized from the classical business of 
of alcohol by my peers and I'll never forgive them for it. But then I'll, again, I'll forgive them because it made me who I am today. But there was, there's a lot of bad blood there and I'm not the, the first person to say that. I'm sure they'll say that on their side as well. But I have the tattoos to prove it. So, you know, <laughs> you can't get rid of my bartending tattoos. You know, I think that there's just a lot of animosity between cl classical liquor and craft spirits and cannabis, but I'm not here to argue that or, or say which one is correct and which one is not correct. I have a talent. I wanted to create the best beverage that was ever made in the world, and it's not a seltzer. It doesn't use industrialized ingredients. It's terpene forward. It actually smells like cannabis. There's nothing else out on the market that tastes or smells or recreates the experience of having really, really good you know, stuff in you that's made with love. And, you know, I was there for the process, so I know what goes into it. And it's a, uh, it's something that's, that's really important to me. You know, I had Chris Anderson my, as my eyes and ears when we were going through formulation. So I used a, a product from France, which I'm not permitted to advertise per se, because of France's, uh, how should I put it, their, their history of anti-cannabis use. So uh, I'm using a, a fruit, fruit puree from an, an incredible source in, in France that supplies to five-star hotels and restaurants all over the world. I'm using uh, Pickett's extra hot and spicy ginger syrup from mm. uh, Denver, Colorado. And it, it's a real Great Britain style ginger beer syrup. There's no alcohol in it. And then Mirin, which is Japanese rice vinegar. Mm. And what that does is it adds a tangy element, not like a switchel or a shrub, I did write a book on bitters and shrub syrups, so I have a lot of experience with that. But uh, but what this does, this this drink does, is it gives it a, a tangy approach. So it's 0.6 of a gram of sugar, 0.6 grams of sugar, and 16 calories. My nearest competition is like 40 calories and 800 grams of no, not that much sugar. But there's so much sugar and there's so much fizzy busy stuff out there that I had to stand up at the cannabis drinks expo during the first one. And I said, cannabis drinks suck. And, and it was just totally silent in the room. People have been spending thousands and thousands of dollars on getting marketers to create the best cannabis cocktail in the world. And that to be told it, it sucks. Oh but, but that's what they would in bartending. I mean, it's a tough business. If you make yeah. a, shitty, you know, a terrible cocktail, your peers are going to let you know you're going to be doomed in social media. You might as well cross under a rock you know i can handle it i've written six books i've taken a lot of abuse i'll take a lot of abuse in the future i'm old come on 61 i've i've seen it all yes all of that you have seen it all and you have written six books so in 2022 is there anything you'd have add or update you know to your cocktail book from the yeah yeah you know i those the the recipes in my book are really for medicinal purposes my publisher Fairwinds Press from Cordo would not do a recreational book. So I made the efficacy of the cocktails incredibly potent. How I would change it if I was to do another one is I wouldn't make them 250 milligrams for a cocktail. Uh, I, was, I, I was on Viceland Live and I made cocktails from the book, the original Meserol, which has uh, barrel bourbon whiskey, 125 proof. And I put about 2,500 milligrams of THC in the punch and destroyed them all on live television. They'll never forget me. And, <laughs> and also, the I want to talk about one other thing about this. Interesting. We're talking about, you mentioned earlier, you know, you don't really drink anymore. 
Both California uh, sober is a growing trend among those who want to cut alcohol, but still enjoy social activities. As an expert in both cannabis alcohol, have you noticed any key differences between consumer behaviors between the two? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I haven't said I was talking to my friend uh, Jeff Kleinman about this this morning. He sent me a bar menu and I said, you know, Jeff, I haven't I really haven't been in a bar or uh, touched very much more than uh, a glass of wine at dinner since July of 2018 when I was down at Tales of the Cocktail. And I don't get I sometimes get those pangs of, you know, I really would love to have that perfect Irish coffee or the uh, or the incredible rum punch that I used to do or a tea punch with Martinique rum. But, you know, none of those things have, have passed my lips since 2018. And I used to do, you know, tasting notes for serious liquor brands, you know, ones that that really are, are players, San Francisco World Spirit, you know, World Cup Award, whatever they they are up there in, out, out west. But they're all award-winning stuff, and I used to do all their tasting notes. And now I do tasting notes for cannabis companies. And I, I, you know, I haven't had a hangover, which we used to call an occupational hazard, since 2018. Amazing. I don't want. I don't want one. I don't. No. I don't want that experience. You don't need them. If I, if I had one more drink, I was going to die. I couldn't put my feet in my shoes. <laughs> no, you you laugh, but it's true. And I yeah. and I was sad and. You know, I, I was disowned around that time and it was just a, my life wasn't going well. I divorced, disowned, bankrupt, and I lost my job all in the same month. And so, in that reason, cannabis is bringing you back, right? What well, a gift. Can- cannabis was always with me and uh, it's been with me since I was 12. And as I said, I'm not just born, but I didn't know how to manage my, my healing. And once I developed glaucoma, and got into the program, the cannabis program here in New York and in, in New Jersey, excuse me, and learning that uh, how flawed it really is, I wanted to change it. And I couldn't change it in politics because I'm a loose cannon, but I, I could change it in, uh, in the fact that I wouldn't spoke anything for New Jersey until just recently. And what mm. the, the big surprise for me was visiting the apothecarium the other day and taking home a selection of their flowers and really being pleased and, and writing tasting notes, which reminded me of, uh, of the stuff that I was getting in, uh, in California. And then learning from, uh, you know, I spoke to Nick this morning and he wants to have me come out to the, to the grow and see, you know, and, you know, I got a, a whole bunch of stuff and I tasted through it and I thought, Gosh, New Jersey has come a long way, and and uh, I'm really happy to be here and, and see it because I never thought that I'd see it in my lifetime. Because when I was at Morristown Baird and and graduated in 1980, which meant I was in prep school in the 1970s, hmm. it's pretty stigmatized around here, and it still is. But it uh, but it's come a long way, and the, and and cannabis cocktails have come a long way, and the way that people use cannabis and beverages have come a long way, but they still suck. <laughs> they really do there's some really <laughs> awful stuff out there and some good stuff too <laughs> you've been around the block so um and based on your personal experience you know reporting on the cannabis industry we haven't you know really discussed like how oh, yeah, what a deep, uh, history you have in journalism in the space yeah. i mean from your experience what key qualities do you think define successful cannabis startups at this point in the game you know you've uh, how- had a very from various different vantage points. You've been a writer, you have your own companies. You've seen it. How, 
how can they do it? How can they afford to do it? You have to be so well capitalized. And fortunately, I worked in banking for 20 years. So I have a pretty good background in, uh, in people who save money and, and or have their parents leave them mass quantities of fortune. And that creates uh, wealth. And, and that wealth is created and put into cannabis companies. I see a lot of that. That's okay. I'm 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 all for inherited wealth, and if that means that you get to do what you love with the money that you inherit, so be it. But the uh, the big question to me is if you don't have any experience and you're taking that that wealth and you're buying your experience, those businesses are almost doomed to fail because they're just a dream and a promise without anything to back it up. I'm fortunate that I have, you know, many, many years of beverage experience and I know a lot about flavors and, and what people want and how to produce that in a way that's inexpensive to my investors. And I practice a lot of frugal, you know, responsibility and, you know, try to set a good example as a CEO of a company that really is based on a dream and a prayer. I mean, that's what it is. And I work with great people, but the only reason I can afford their services is by making them partners. Otherwise, I'd be dead. I mean, I wouldn't be able to last two seconds out there. I'm up against incredible, incredibly capitalized companies that have you know serious budgets. But I knew when I turned down a group of, a quote unquote, group of scientists that turned out to be from some large beverage company that I was on to something when I told them no, and I wanted to do my own project. And it's worked out with the, with the blessings and the help of Evan and, and Ben and, and John and, you know, in Moscow and everyone, you know, who's been helping me and, and even my wife, Julie, along the way to, to have me stay the course. It's amazing, it's you know, and really incredible. I this nothing, nothing I, I ever did in life prepared me for this. And I have like eight absolute failures. My dad told me and he's gone now, thankfully, but he told me every single day I would never amount to anything and I would be a failure for the rest of my life. And look so at that, you. That's what your drives dream. me. That's what drives me every day. Yeah. And you're doing it, you're living your dreams. So, to, you know, to wrap up, you know, we're talking about all the exciting things you have in the rise and what's next for you and Klaus this year. Oh yeah, and my gosh. Launches you're excited about. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about give, being given the opportunity to uh, come out with two more SKUs. That's super exciting. And mm-hmm. I'm going to blow the tiki market out of the water by doing something in, the, uh, in, in that world. So stay tuned on that one. And then another one is a take on the classic phosphorus cocktail, which is out of my book, Mm -hmm. Cannabis Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics. That one involves pomegranate and no vodka. (laughs) Love it. Exactly. No vodka. That's that's the name of the game in this one. Warren, thank you so much. I'm so excited to see what's coming out of the Klaus Kid over the next few months. feel so lucky to have you as a colleague and friend and wishing you the most success with Klaus. Thank you. Thank you. None of this would have been possible without the help from those who truly love the gnome. It's all about Klaus. There he is. 